0: Hi, I'm Emily. I'm Jennifer. And this is All Things Terror, a research podcast about scary stories from science, history, and true crime that will keep you up at night. Jennifer, how have you been lately? Anything exciting happening in your world? Well, I have some things
1: lined up for the future. So, sometime this month, I will be going to a class where you paint miniatures and. There is the Celtic festival that's coming up soon, and then shortly after that, I will be going to the Ren Fair.
0: That's fun. I told you earlier, the last couple times, we talked about the Live Pass incident, which I would like to say that we recorded before My Favorite Murder, but they posted before us, which nobody cares about. But I do. The reason I bring that up is that I have... Somehow, in doing my stories for season three, this has become a weird trend of frightening things that happen in the cold parts of the world. And so from, you know, the Russian backwoods, we are now going to go to Antarctica. Oh, I love Antarctica. Why do you love Antarctica? What do you know about it?
1: Well, I know that that is where the penguins don't live and where research t- scientists don't experiment with missiles and re- weird things
0: <laughs> and where the ice caps are definitely not I was about melting. to say, and don't blank. And then I was like, oh, wait, that'd be a good episode. I'm not going to say it. I'll keep it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: definitely not where there's all sorts of... Mystery about what actually lives underneath the landmass of the frozen tundra. Yeah, Antarctica, Antarctica is frozen
0: literally 100% of the time.
1: So those are all the things that
0: I don't know about Antarctica. Fair. Uh, I will say that uh, we are going to be talking about some research scientists. And the story is going to have a connection to a warm weather mystery that we had been texting about earlier. So, oh, curious. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, we are going to follow the story of Rodney Marks and his very uh, exciting time at the South Pole research station. So, um, we are looking technic- We are looking at the Scott Adminson Station. Um, it's an American base, uh, most of the people who are stationed there are American, but the land is technically New Zealander, New Zealandish, New Zealand Can, I like that. So um, it's a New Zealand Can land, uh, it's an American base, Antarctica is kind of interesting in that, uh, and I'm quoting from a Men's Journal article where I got a lot of my information, Quote, seven countries officially have territorial claims on the continent, but the U.S. has never recognized any of them. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, right. That's exactly what I wrote. Uh, yeah, that tracks. So the way that this station works, like, because it's so far away, uh, you can't just sort of go there and come back. So people will go there for months at a time, and they call them, they call it wintering over. Um... It's dark, 24 hours a day. Um, you cannot go outside. Uh, it's one of the things, The again, the same Men's Journal article says that the people who are looking to hire people look for, quote, basically loners with long fuses. Um, you're isolated from March to October. It's a big research point for NASA because... There's no stimulation, um, there's nothing to see, there's no new faces. Uh, it's, they use it as like a way to study what conditions are like for astronauts when they're in space. Like, that is how isolated this place is. It says that uh, because of all of this, the way that you're sort of tamped down, people sometimes have uh, difficulty with cognitive thought. There's a guy named uh, Lawrence Palinkas, who's a professor of social policy and health uh, at the University of Southern California, and he studies behavioral science and social dynamics and stuff for NASA. Um, And he said, he's quoted as saying, "Um, even in well-adjusted groups, we estimate between three and five percent will experience some form of psychological problem, sleep disorders, depression, alcohol addiction. So, this is a really weird place to work. Um, and Really hopeful. Good culture,
1: um, great benefits.
0: <laughs> well, kind of place that you wake up and you're like, I'm glad I work here. Right? I mean, if you're one of those people who gets, like, feels down in the winter when it's cold and dark, just, like, uh, times that by ten hundred and uh, never see sunlight or daylight at all. Um, And yes, I said ten hundred. That is a real number. (laughs) (laughs) So, interestingly, um, they and this is sort of the late 90s, early 2000s that we're looking at. um, They do develop a really strong social culture. Um, There is a bar on in the facility. They have like parties and it becomes sort of really fun. Uh, it is a little clicky because there's different types of people there. There's like the research scientists, um, operations, so those people who do like you know making sure that shipments come in and all of that. Um, and like you know laborers who like plumbers and shit. Um, they're so they're very, very clicky. Um, and in the year that we are looking at with uh, one Rodney Marks in 2000, um, this was one crew where they were sort of not clicky. Like, people would move between groups and everybody was friends. Um, it Lots of orgies. Honestly, it kind of sounds like there were orgies. Uh, oh my God, seriously. Yeah, I am not... I. I did not find, uh, like, exact things, but, like, one of these, I read a couple articles and one of them was talking about Rodney Marks ended up dating and then becoming engaged to a woman named Sonia who worked on the operation side. And, um, they introduced her as saying, like, he had a girlfriend, not just, quote, an ice wife. So, like, it is kind of this, like, whatever happens in the dome stays in the dome. Um... Well, fair enough, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the bar, if you're wondering what the bar was called, which I definitely was, uh, is called 90 South. Um, and there is like this slideshow that you can watch. It's still up. I don't know how it's still up. Um, it's actually from 2003. Uh, but it looks like it's from the late 90s. And it... it mm-hmm legitimately looks like when you're in college and there's someone who has that party house and you like take pictures of like you know you write your name all everybody signs their name on a, a piece of the table or everyone wears a funny hat or uh you know someone sleeping on the couch so there's a picture of someone else mooning him or Like, there's Christmas lights hanging from this, like, ceiling that's, like, paneled ceilings. Um, It it looks like... That's what it looks like. Uh, It doesn't look like this, like... Not where grown-ups live. (laughs) Yeah, this creepy, isolated research station. Actually, when I was in college, uh, Clint lived in the weird party house. Uh, and his roommate, Casey Durkin, who I feel like might have been mentioned before, like, built a bar and a weird little, like, blacklight room in their basement, and they never locked their front door, um, and their kitchen just, it, is, like, they would just bring glasses in and use them and never wash them. Like, I, there were probably, at one point, like, 200, like, cups and plates that were all dirty, just covering the countertops and, like, the stovetops. It was so gross. And one time, some rando dude yeah all things terror where speaking of all things some random dude walked into their house one day took clint's car keys and stole his truck like (laughs) and and he got the truck back but then like i was like so you guys gonna start locking your door now and i distinctly remember clint shrugging and being like well it just seems like we figured out what to do and i was like oh my god um when they moved out, I think we counted how many couches they had in the house. They had like 11 or 12 couches. Like, it really was just a flop house for disgusting boys. Uh, but they had tons of parties and this looks like honestly a cleaner version of that. <laughs>
1: well, it, there was um, I mean, there's this frat house close to campus when I was an undergrad and I at least two of the windows were broken, so I have a pretty good image now, like, combining your story with what I remember from some very messy people I lived with in that frat house. It mm-hmm. all is coming together.
0: Yeah. Uh, so this is basically where we are. I will say, I, I'm going to read a quote from the Men's Journal article. I'm quoting a lot from this. Uh, it's just really well written. It's really great reporting, uh, and the quotes that they have are just so funny. I mean, not funny, but, like, just have these nice little twists of irony that um is it is it
1: playboy that you're quoting is that why you're not giving the name
0: uh no men's journal
1: oh can we pretend it's playboy sure
0: i can say playboy from here on out if you want (laughs) (laughs) that was no that was not hard at all that was like yeah sure uh also the reporter's name is will cockerel uh so there's just a little bit more uh you know Playboy, cock, ha, ha, But also, uh, good job, Will. You're, you're killing it. Um, so anyway, this is a quote that I wanted to read to you about, this sort of weird party atmosphere. Um, quote, and it said that every year, at least one belligerent alcoholic emerges on base. In 1996, a worker was thrown into detox three times before he was finally forced to live in the medical facility, isolated from the rest of the population. The next year, there was such a booze shortage that the staff wound up giving each other a beer as Christmas presents. In two thousand, one staffer was rumored to have racked up a $10,000 bar tab. The dome even had its... What? Uh-huh. The dome even had its own moonshine still that got inherited from one crew to the next.
1: I can't even imagine owing $10,000 for alcohol. Jesus.
0: I know. I mean, I'm sure it's like an airport bar and that it's quite expensive because what are you going to do? You have no other competitors. But still, it's... that's a lot. Excuse me. Classic. So far... (laughs) Classic. (laughs) So, Clint will probably delete this, and listeners will never know, but my computer crashed right in the middle of that, and... My sweet, sweet computer saved the file for me. So, you're welcome, America.
1: Against all odds. So, we're, we're at the frat house. We're back in.
0: Yeah, so, so, so far there's nothing that's been uh, particularly terrifying, except perhaps in the way that this has become like this claustrophobic, you know, sometimes clicky vacuum in darkness. Um, but I said that the story is about Rodney Marks and, uh, in the year 2000, which is where our story really takes off, uh, he died. And interesting. Yeah. So that's,
1: and that's the end of the story, everybody. Thank you for listening.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So basically what's going to happen is that we are now entering an Agatha Christie novel because Rodney Marks, uh, was 32 when he died Uh, he's quite young and he died in a very uh, painful way that is perplexing and I said that this is like an Agatha Christie novel because there's only 49 other people at the base and so theoretically you would be able to call in an inspector who could figure out what happened Uh, and so what happened before this became an Agatha Christie novel is this uh, at about six thirty? he and Sonia his ice wife slash IRL fiance um, went to the kitchen the galley uh, he ate a meal and drank a beer and said you know I'm not feeling that great uh, and like my eyes are blurry so by nine thirty, he's in bed and in less than 24 hours he would be dead he woke up the next morning um 5:30, vomiting blood and it says quote the burn that had started in the pit of his stomach was now radiating throughout his body he went to the sort of hospital bay twice on the second time he was wearing sunglasses because his eyes were like very very sensitive like painfully sensitive he was scared he was anxious He's essentially hyperventilating. Like, his breathing is really fast. He has joint pain. He's disoriented. Um, and he starts getting combative. They had to give him a, a antipsychotic halbal just to, like, take control and understand what's going on. Um, and as he's, like, sedated and lying down, he starts slipping in and out of consciousness. Um, and then his heart stopped and he died uh what does this sound like to you jennifer anything
1: i mean it sounds like an anxiety attack to me (laughs) except
0: except the part where you die
1: (laughs) i don't know i felt like i was gonna die before in
0: the middle of one (laughs) but you'd so okay but he also also vomiting blood he's got pain from his stomach that radiates outward
1: so, stomach pain, throwing throwing up blood,
0: disorientation, uh, pain in the eyes. yeah.
1: Disor- I mean,
0: Agatha Christie novel. Rabies or vampire?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: really know. Uh, here's my best Agatha Christie voice. Rodney Mox had been poisoned. Dun dun dun. Uh, <laughs> uh, I still vote vampire. I mean, vampires, there's no reason why they can't also be murderers by poison. That's true. I stand corrected. Mm -hmm. Rodney Marks died, uh, of well, first, after he died. This is very sad, and I do not want to go over it. Um, His, you know, he's very close with everyone there. Like I said, it's normally quite clicky, but this year it wasn't. Um, One of his uh, fellow scientists said, quote, he had a PhD, and yet he would play poker, smoke cigarettes, and drink whiskey with the carpenters and plumbers. I mean, if you're spending every day in and out with only 50 people, you're going to know all of them. Um, right. The doctor who tried to save his life with his fr- was his friend and wrote, quote, we did everything we could, but Rodney did not come back. He had friends around him at the end. We have no idea what happened. Um, they... Oh. I know... They made him a casket, but because the ground was frozen, they couldn't bury it for five months. They had to just keep it there. On,
1: um, mm.
0: yeah, um, again, because they're isolated, they can't get in, they can't get out, um, and again, because they're just like, this has to be some sort of bizarre, natural, uh, causes thing, um, he um it says that the facility management company like is apparently requested that they like cordon off his room so that they can investigate it but they're so far away it was just like we don't know what else like we need the space so it says that they collected a couple items from his office and bedroom um but anything else that quote didn't look suspect went straight into the garbage and then after being cleaned up, both areas continued to be used just as they had before his death. His office by scientists and his room by Sonia, who lived there for the rest of the winter. How sad is that? In in their room. Yeah, she lived in that room by herself for the rest of the winter. That's, uh... I know, right? Um, and so, they, uh, when they're able to, they, you know, do some investigation and How he died was methanol poisoning. So you can get methanol poisoning a couple ways. Um, So we'll go through them and we'll kind of see if this is how Rodney Marks was able to die. Um, I will say his blood, it had lethal traces of methanol if you're wondering what this is. It's very, very, very toxic. It's a wood alcohol-based chemical. Uh, Rodney used it to... Cleaned. So he was an astrophysicist, um, and he did work for, like, I don't know, like, stuff with telescopes and space. Uh, I don't really understand. I don't understand what astrophysicist is, like, uh, math and science plus angles. Um, I don't know. Math
1: and science plus angles.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. Um, He, uh, yeah, so he used methanol um, to clean the telescopes, but, uh, like, very, very, very small amounts. And there was, like, one other place where it might have been in a very diluted form, like this. I read this in two places that he did use it to clean the telescopes, but it was very, very diluted, and he had way more in his system um it says like a small wine glass is worth um and the pathologist who did the autopsy said quote uh it was virtually certain to have been ingested so really yeah it's very weird so the first question we have like is this some sort of like you know um Drug use issue. And it says that he had needle marks on his arm, but his body was free of illegal drugs. So I'm assuming that the needle marks are from, like, when he was sick and they were, like, trying to help him. Um, they thought maybe that because he was a heavy drinker, it was a result of that. But the autopsy is like, no, that's not true. Um, they think possibly one of the other ways that you could accidentally get methanol is... I Remember I told you there was a still at the bar that there was a still that they chewed so it it was this idea of like if you did some wonky um moonshine uh that that might have happened uh oh here we go here's my note about it being very uh diluted um it said so they they had methanol that they used at the south pole um but it's very um it's, like, windshield wiper fluid. And then less toxic ethanol, which is what they use for moonshine, but that's more like rubbing alcohol. Um, and he it said it's possible that you could have mistaken one for the other and made, like, a bad batch. But, like, by all accounts, even though Rodney Marks was, like, you know, involved with this still and would drink moonshine, he was also, like, really smart, and it's very unlikely that it could have gotten um, mixed up when I say he was really smart like so he was 24 uh and this is how he ended up going to the South Pole he just like was like hey I wanted to like find a fun PhD project or something and his professor was like well the University of Nice is doing a study at the South Pole and he was like okay and so he became fluent in French in a couple months and then like within two years he was in the South Pole. For a two-week stint, and then uh, I think he came back. This was his first time overwintering, which is what they called when you're there for nine months. So he's a smart guy. It's pretty unlikely that the methanol and ethanol would have gotten mixed up, or, or he would have drank it by accident. Um, right. There's another possibility that someone did it as a prank, right? Like, spiking his drink as a prank, but nearly everyone there was a scientist who would know that even a drop of it could be very, very fatal or very, very painful. It's not, um, it's not like pouring an extra shot in or something. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite that. Uh, it seems very unlikely, um, that someone did that, uh, by accident or like as a joke. Um, I get, right, because
1: despite living in a frat house, they're not actually dumb
0: college kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, it would be like, like I said, it wouldn't be like pouring an extra shot in someone's drink. It would be like pouring bleach in someone's drink, but they couldn't taste the bleach. Like it would, you would not even want to put a little drop in it. It would be quite bad for you. Um, another possibility was that okay, maybe he did this to himself um, either as like a purposeful suicide or like he was doing his like he was cleaning and wiped his mouth or something but again it's so diluted that that isn't really likely um, and there's no real reason why uh, he would have like there's no indicators that he would have committed suicide So, what is the only other possibility it could be? Murder. (laughs) Murder. Yeah.
1: But I have a question. Um, Did any of your sources talk about, like, what would happen if he, like, wiped a little bit on himself and got it in his bloodstream?
0: It didn't. Um... I do feel like I said the bleach, uh, analogy, and it does feel like the watered down, like, version that he does, um, is sort of analogous to bleach, except it's odorless and colorless. Like, I don't know that, like, having it on your hands and, like, wiping it across your lips would be enough to kill you. Or make you sick. Uh, it might be, but it—it it kind of sounded like
1: it's not. like. Yeah,
0: I mean, like I said, it sounded like he had to have had a small wine glass. To me, is like what, like six ounces or something. So, like, it sounds like he had too much for it to be like just some got in his mouth while he was working, but also he had again, too much for it to be, like, some other sort of accident or something. Like, there was a substantial amount. Right. Okay. Uh, If anyone is a scientist, please let me know (laughs) if this is accurate. Okay. So, we're starting to get a little bit, like, okay, what the fuck is going on? There's only 49 other people. This should be quite easy. Um, and we start out with, um... And this is where it gets even weirder and again we move maybe out of well no probably still in an egg the Christie novel um so the first guy that we're gonna meet well he's really the only guy but we're gonna talk about other things uh is grant wormald which is the fucking most kiwi name ever and i love it um he is a new zealand police and as much as i was bitching about police earlier this guy sounds fucking awesome and straight out of law and order he is like i'm going to investigate what happened and he's like okay i'm going to contact the other 49 scientists and again remember he said that it's new zealand land but it's an american base and most of them are american um so he contacts the scientists and only 13 out of 49 of them even respond oh wow Uh uh-huh Apparently, uh, he and his team, or I mean, I assume he had a team because this is now like Mindhunter, but with forces and New Zealand accents, um, also asked the U.S. for help or like contact information for the scientists. And the U.S. was like, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to like share information with you. Uh, And when I'm talking, when I say, like, the government, uh, this is overseen by the National Science Foundation. This is not, like, some secret branch of the CIA or anything. (laughs) So the National Science Foundation was like, yeah, no, we're not going to aid with a police investigation. Great. Right. Uh, (laughs) What is going on at the NSF? Um. So the one thing that and then the NSF is like, okay, well, we're going to do our own investigation, which they purportedly do. um, But they still to this day, uh, almost 20 years later, have never released their investigation. Um, But one thing that they do say is that the uh, moonshine that were was there and was tested uh, didn't have methanol in it. So that could not have been the source of the poisoning
1: well that's a relief at least the moonshine is safe for everybody still
0: right and i guess to me it seems like kind of a pr move like you're not releasing anything else about the like crime you're just saying like oh yeah this bad behavior that we were ignoring and not shutting down didn't result in anything bad right this is a pr nightmare for them um <laughs> Right. Yeah. And again, Wormald is our best friend. We love him. He's clearly a detective from T V. He said, quote, Oh, should I try and do it in a New Zealand accent? Please embarrass yourself. Yeah. I love I love the Dan Inderland. I think I do quite well there. I love the sense of humor. Uh he said, I'd like to think that if my children went to work down there and something went wrong someone would be responsible for finding out what had happened. I know Rodney's family wants to know why the machinery that would have diagnosed his illness wasn't working and whether anyone will actually be held accountable, whether anyone even gives a shit. Someone should be required to give a damn. <laughs> it's great. It's perfect. Uh, Some, someone should be required to give a damn. <laughs> I, I feel like that's kind of the, like, Tagline for this podcast. Like, everything that we talk about is just like, yeah, someone should be required to give a damn.
1: <laughs> well, that's it. We've solved our podcast. We don't have to podcast anymore. This is
0: like if we ever get t-shirts, this is what the shirt will say. Someone should be required to give a damn. <laughs> I will say, though, um, that throughout all of this... Uh, all these articles that I read it felt like a lot of inertia and when it gets picked up by like British newspapers and stuff they make it into a really scandalous story and you know the scientists who work there travel around a lot their contracts they don't really like to contact people Um, and so you know Grant Wormald is really perhaps season three's hero because he just very doggedly like keeps pursuing it and like speaking in the media like gems like someone should be required to give a damn so we love him um i will also say in that quote and i was gonna save this for the end but it's it's a very spooky detail at any point um one of the things that's really extra sad about this um and perhaps contributes to the spookiness in a lot of ways is that there was a machine that could have tested what was happening with him um and would have shown like that um what was going on So uh, it's called an Ectochem blood analyzer And if they had been able to Take some blood and put it in that machine They would have been able to See what was going on And just given him quote a saline drip And al- ethanol and he probably would have lived Ugh. But the machine wasn't working Of course not So it's all very like what What is going on down there Um, so our good friend Wormald is trying to investigate things, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, they do get a small, uh, like they, the scientists who cooperate, they're able to, um, like, you know, get these transcripts in court. Um, and they're trying to like this whole time figure out like what is going on? Why would somebody want to murder him? Um, And they just, they can't find out any of this. And it's only, like, after the fact, and it's never been fully, like, found out. Um, His fiancé says, quote, Despite numerous requests, I am not entirely satisfied that all relevant information and reports have been disclosed to the New Zealand police or the coroner. There is an unbelievable amount of alcohol down here. Pallets of booze were flown in. I can't tell you how many cases of beer, booze, and wine I caught and passed on to the next person. Well, yes, I also shuttled sodas and fresh food, but there seemed to be mostly alcohol. Uh, she sort of hinted that there were some possible like alcoholics and people had problems with it, but as long as they like didn't physically fight and they could do their jobs, it wasn't really considered a problem. Um, in that same blog, she writes, uh, "There's no drunk tank. I am not aware of any AA meetings that taking place." it wouldn't be a bad idea for quite a few people here and apparently people do occasionally get sent home for drinking related issues no one got sent home from south pole this season for anything involving drinking so there is like this weird culture again like a frat house of like oh well there's nothing wrong there's no systematic problems this is just a weird runoff so i told you that they were able to get some um things on the record And one of the things, um, it's a piece of testimony by one of the um, health, quote, health and safety officer who was there, um, told investigators that there was a, quote, unusual shaped bottle of liquor that Marks had brought back, Marks, Rodney Marks, after he was like, you know, like you go to New Zealand and then you come home. Uh, or home meaning Antarctica for the base Uh, and this other guy who had 10 deployments like had done like this 9 month stint 10 times which to me I'm like your brain is broken that sounds terrible Um, no kidding Yeah, he said he saw a quote exotic looking black and white label with writing in Portuguese or a similar language and a picture of a shrimp on this weird bottle and it was an empty one And they say that, like, okay, all these bottles were thrown away along with everything else because they didn't treat it like a crime scene. And when this was brought up, another person who was there says, like, yeah, I remember that bottle, but he didn't want his name attached. And he says that, okay, as soon as I heard that this guy had been poisoned, I thought this could have happened. And so he had a theory, and he tells this other crew member and investigators, but they, like, dismiss it as speculation, and then this guy sends an email to this men's journal, uh, Will, our good friend, Will Cockrell. And here is the quote from this email. And then I'll just continue reading and you are going to see the connection to the warm weather mystery that we were texting about. Okay. You ready? In certain parts I'm ready. Uh, In certain parts of the world he wrote quote people are aware of the dangers of tainted alcohol from places like southeast asia there are regular warnings for travelers so when i say quote that's like i'm quoting the email but i'm reading this all from cockerel he included a link to a lonely planet travel forum from this june deadly brew kills foreigners in bali was the headline that in turn linked to a report of 23 people dying after drinking a local palm liquor that had been spiked with methanol to increase its potency Turns out, every year, there are hundreds of similar cases, everywhere from Southeast Asia to Africa to the Himalayas. Just last May, an almost identical story made its way out of Everest base camp when a popular Sherpa died after drinking methanol-tainted whiskey. The World Health Organization reports as many as 300 deaths per year relating to the lack of quality controls, especially in the preparation of illicit liquor. All of these deaths are the result of acute methanol poisoning. So, do you remember when there are people that were um, dying in Bali after drinking out of the minibar? Yes. Yeah, that's what it could be, is that illegal or, like, you know, not above board liquor has this methanol, and that's the methanol poisoning. Interesting. (laughs) So, this has not been totally, uh, like, solved-solve um technically it's still open um like i said this theory has been dismissed as outlandish um
1: but is it really that outlandish
0: i don't think so i mean to me i really like this conclusion it makes sense to me right um and our good friend green twimalt i'll give you another quote from our hero uh, it says quote Rodney was lucid for 36 hours before he died if he had known what was ailing him he would have told somebody that one wasn't as good as the first one <laughs>
1: oh my gosh but so I will
0: say so in the wake of this um the National Science Foundation cracked down uh Paul Schneider, the guy who said that he he'd been there ten times, uh, he said, "quote The NSF did not like the culture of 90 South. Uh, a new bar was built, but after it became illegal to smoke in a government building, it was converted into a TV lounge. This was a place that was supposed to replace the old 90 South, but now it's a place where people do Pilates. Um, there's no moonshine still either. The National Science Foundation, quote." hauled it out onto the open ice, and made a show of running over it with a tractor. <laughs> wow. So, uh, this is like some old school justice. They're like, don't make us look bad. Don't You don't fuck with the NSF. <laughs> you come for us once, but you don't come back again. i mean it is a bit dramatic to run over it but whatever yeah they also keep a flag where their friend rodney marks uh where his body was sort of shallowly buried for five months before they could you know get it out of the ice um and they periodically go and replace it Um, schneider says that the nsf hates that the flag is there and uh, continuously tries to get it taken down
1: well you know what they should get over
0: that shit Yep. It's very um yeah, so that is the death possible murder possible accidental poisoning of Rodney Marks in Antarctica where it's dark all the time. And also how people keep trying to take flags away. I know. Uh, that part, I mean, there's lots of it that's sad, but that made me really sad that they keep trying to get the flag down. Like, my goodness. Somebody died, chill. Yeah, it's also upsetting, like, I think because we tend to get so philosophical at the end, one of the things that really was unsettling to me was that the NSF did an investigation but didn't release it, and then afterwards they do all this good PR stuff, right? Like, they shut down the bar and they destroy the still and they try to be like, look, we're fixing it. But they're not being open and they're not really addressing what happened. So, like if he was poisoned if there was something there then that person is still there right there's still shadows you know you can't be secretive while also saying i'm taking care of this problem right that's we've seen we've yeah. seen that happen with organizations that are you know bishops or boy scout leaders like preying on the people they're supposed to be helping if someone just goes okay i won't make a big deal about it i'll just take care of it well that doesn't take care of it right um And so there is this weird ending that's really unsettling where it's like, okay, well, the image of this is more important than the reality of what really happened. Even if it was an accident, you know, you still should be more, (laughs) I don't know, I don't want to say cooperative because I feel like that's sort of this watchword for like doing what people tell you to do for no reason. But yeah, like be open about this and yeah, I don't know. It's weird.
1: Yeah, I mean, as somebody dies, you you have to, like, you have to at least try to do the right thing, and, like, just, I don't know, just covering up, like, some drinking culture really isn't doing anything other than covering up a drinking culture. Yes,
0: thank you for putting, I could not figure out how to say that, but yeah, that's exactly right, like, yeah. Covering up her drinking culture is just doing that. It's just, it's not addressing that how or why someone died.
1: Yeah, that's that's all. I mean, and it's easy to get fixated be like, well, obviously, you know, alcohol was involved. Or at least they believe alcohol is involved. But again, what is that doing? How is that helping anybody? Yeah, and
0: that doesn't like, okay, shutting down the bar where presumably legally manufactured alcohol was doesn't address the illegal alcohol and the hundreds of people that die from drinking it every year, right? Like, that doesn't fix the problem. You just, like, bait and switched it and said, look, we fixed this. It's like, what? No. Like, people are still dying this painful, scary death.
1: Who knows that moonshine was probably safer anyways.
0: The... Oh, well... I don't know. Maybe. Oh, well, probably. I mean, as someone who makes kombucha and yogurt, I'm like, eh. It's pretty hard to die of fermented things.
1: So, um, were there any theories about
0: who it might have been if it was, if it was murder? No, that's what was really interesting. Is that a lot of the. Like, in that Will Cochran article, and I I read some other ones, but that one was honestly just phenomenal. Um, He really did a good job of explaining, like, how claustrophobic and, like, closed off that is. But also the way that, like, they would pick people who could handle it down there. Like, you're not going to pick someone who's so passive-aggressive that they, like, let resentments build. But you're not gonna like pick someone who's like we need to air this and solve it like you know when they hired people they really like chose people who could like go with the flow and didn't get offended at all and like you know could easily stay down there um and so it is just this weird weird culture and it has to be because otherwise no one would be able to work there so he kind of sets up like yeah it's really weird and most people wouldn't be comfortable but like for people who like it they really like it and you would think it would be a volatile place where people would be getting like invites all the time and doing weird shit but usually it isn't um and so yeah i don't know like it it was baffling like every article i read just made it be like this is a huge mystery and even when they like I read one article that was kind of like scandalous it was like oh he's been murdered but who would do it and they're just like they couldn't there's never been any speculation or any even like remotely reasonable like theory as to the murder it's just that he died in such a weird way and it's poison and you know this alcohol was there so theoretically anyone had access to it and could have done it. Yeah, I mean,
1: it does seem like building a case for murder would be really hard in those circumstances. Because, like, if everyone is as even kill as they're supposed to be, then, like, (laughs) then it's like, okay, well, what does it really come down to? What motives do you have to, you know, consider? And I guess, like, really that would just come down to, like, financial motives? Would that be the best reason but yeah it's like if
0: you're thinking about there there are no motives they're they're like they can't find any motives all they can find is that like well everyone had like 50 people who were living in one place all had access to this there you go there's your motive bye (laughs) yeah it's really weird um so yeah, it's it's a spooky and like unsettling thing, and um, if you go to Southeast Asia, do not drink illegal alcohol, or you will get methanol poisoning and vomit blood.
1: But Emily, how do I know if it's illegal alcohol?
0: I don't know, except that I am such a law-abiding citizen that I wouldn't even know how one would go about accessing or doing crimes, so you know just be good
1: <laughs> how do i access crime
0: you know accessing the crime <laughs> that's that's oh my gosh that's how you uh end up in prison you access too much crime well wow. uh
1: that that's pretty crazy though And that's so sad. I feel so
0: sad for all those people that lost their friend. I know, me too. Especially because, like, um, as you mentioned, like, this idea of, like, a drinking culture or, like, a frat house or, like, even that stupid, gross house that Clint lived in. There is a strong sense of camaraderie. And as much as the articles made it sound like it was weird, like, it also sounded really, like, close and they cared about each other. And, like, I said, you can still go see these pictures and I'll post a link to them in the Facebook group when I post the sources. Um, It is, it does feel, like, yeah, very sad. Like, they weren't just friends or friends who are, like, family. It's, like, well, it was this, like, like, soldiers or something. Like, you bond in this way that you can't under... um, under other circumstances and it would just be so sad to be so isolated from your family and everyone else and any way to get out of a place where you know your friend had mysteriously died this awful death um so yeah it's it's as as many of our stories generally are (laughs) it's both terrifying and just really sad (laughs) Maybe you and I are just terrified of feelings, (laughs) so we keep picking stories that make us feel things.
1: (laughs) I don't know what emotions are. What are you talking about? Beep,
0: boop, beep, boop, does not compute.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for depressing me. I appreciate that. You're welcome. As always. Goodbye forever. Goodbye forever.
0: All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is Clint. Intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. Ask nicely and we'll probably send you a really cute sticker. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or write a review. It really helps us and helps more people find us. Goodbye forever. tell you about my court dates (laughs) no what did you do why did you do it (laughs) it's fucking terrible but not listen let me just get this out of the way i have not caught like committed major crimes i got pulled over a couple months ago I drive a manual, and I have a habit of, like, putting my car in neutral as I pull up to a stop sign, and I got, uh, rightly pulled over for that, uh, I will admit, you should not do that. Uh, but so while the cop is like, hey, you did something bad, shame on you, uh, he realized that my license, or my registration was expired. By a lot. And it was out of state. And so, I, like, I have a Colorado license, but I hadn't moved my registration over. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, well, okay, I'll fix it. You know, it's been on my to-do list, whatever. And he gives me the thing, and I'm like, wait a minute. There's no price. And he's like, yeah, it's a mandatory court date. So I can't even, like, pay. Uh, I have to go to court, uh, actually, this upcoming Tuesday. And then... So I'm in the process of getting my car fixed, and, like, I had, like, my windshield was cracked, and I was missing a side mirror, so I was like, okay, well, I have to repair these things in case there's an inspection or something, which there fucking wasn't, so I spent all that money for no reason. So I had planned to, like, take this day off work on a Friday and, like, get the registration all taken care of. And then the Sunday before that, I dropped someone off at the airport, and as I'm leaving the airport, Uh, I got pulled over a second time this time I did nothing wrong, but I got a second court date for the same registration problem. And the second time I was like bawling, I was like, I already have a ticket for this. And he was just like, ma'am, 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 you need to take care of it. And I'm like, I am (laughs) trying, I am literally in the middle of taking care of this. But like, what do you, anyway, so, uh, I have two court dates for the same issue. Hopefully I can get the second one, like, taken away or something. Uh, But yeah, it's been very stressful having this loom over me and very stupid. And um, also, it's very hard to register a car in Colorado. You have to get your VIN verified at a dealer. So I had to take my car, which is 13 years old, to a dealer to have them verify my VIN. And I was very embarrassed to be driving my old, perfectly functional, but very scarred car up to a dealership and I had to get my insurance switched over and it took for fucking ever and then as soon as I came out of the DMV, uh, one, my old license plates were rusted on so I couldn't put the new ones on and two, I had gotten a parking ticket. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah, and so you know how I told you my old license plates are rusted on? so again, until I had time to like drive to a shop to have them help me with tools And on the front, there were like no little screws at all. So until I had time to get to a shop to have them help me with this problem, I had taped the new license plates in my window, covered the old license plate with electrical tape. And I had a sign in the back of my car. Like, so if a cop was behind me that said the screws are rusted on, like I'm fixing it. So it's been a very embarrassing couple weeks. But I will say that I did get the car to a shop. The real license plates are on now. Everything is looking borderline normal. Within a month, hopefully I will only have to go to court once uh, and pay, I don't know, and money, I'm sure. I will have to pay money. But, yeah. So, this is what it's like inside my life. So,
1: crime doesn't pay. First lesson. Uh.
0: Listen, this was not like active crime, okay? This was like crime through distraction about other things. Like I did not actively commit a crime. I passively committed a crime by failing to do something. Like, I would like that known. This was not, you know, aggressive maliciousness to order and the social contract. This was uh, laziness that, uh also listen, Clearly, if my registration had been expired three years and nobody pulled me over for it before, I'm not doing anything with my car that would warrant attention from a cop, right? So, like, I'm not getting in accidents. I'm not, you know, hitting and running or, you know, fucking doing bad shit. So, it's very low on the crime scale. Can't believe I
1: host a podcast with a criminal. Just... alleged i have been (laughs) convicted of nothing (laughs) alleged criminal (laughs) alleged so lesson one crime doesn't pay lesson two if you get pulled over for something being jacked up with your car at that point, just never drive your car again until all the jacked upness is resolved. Because if not, you'll get pulled over again, and you'll get a parking ticket, an elephant's gonna land on top of your car, like a bunch of crazy stuff happened. I mean, I
0: also would like to point out that all of this would be taken care of much easier if I was married and just had someone to drive me around and, you know, have a little servant to help me with shit. But I don't. I'm raising animals, and making money to support myself all alone. And I'm still, you know, like, cooking myself meals and doing charity work and shit like that. So, you know, fuck off. Like, fuck off, cops. Uh, fuck off highway patrolman who pulled me over the second time and was quite rude. The first guy was chill. And I was like, alright, okay, I deserve this. But the second guy was like, I do not deserve this and you are not chill. Uh, fuck off, Colorado. No one else move here. I'm I'm going to leave, uh, and, yeah. Fuck. Now I'm getting all angry. It's very inconvenient. It's deeply inconvenient. Remember? Oh, fuck.
1: Remember that time I called you, and I asked you what you were cooking, and you're like, how did you know I was cooking? Yeah. Well, Emily, there's a cop at the front of your house right now.
0: No, I didn't do anything. They're literally putting a
1: ticket on your car as we speak.
0: They're like this is there's nothing illegal about it. It's just ugly. We're fining you for it. Um, it's it's for the same it. thing, so you have a third court date now. No, I it's not my, Listen, I am street legal, okay? <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, we're going to stop talking about my misdeeds uh and negligence uh and talk about a second person or a persons misdeeds and negligence. You're going to do you have no other competitors, but still it's that's a lot. Excuse me. Classic. So far <laughs> classic. <laughs> so <laughs> Clint will probably delete this, and listeners will never know. But my computer crashed right in the middle of that, and my sweet, sweet computer saved the file for me. So you're welcome, America. Against. Yeah, I Aww. thought that when it first crashed, I was like, oh no, this is my karma for talking shit about the cops that pulled me over. And then when it rebooted and everything it was fine, I was like, haha, suck it, cops. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can yeah, still so, suck uh,
0: it. <laughs> uh, yeah, there I are take no consequences back. to my actions, so I can do whatever I want. Except, like, probably hundreds of dollars and points on my license. <laughs> but still! <laughs> and that's how I turn to a life of crime. Actually, do you get points on your license for expired registration. The thing that's very frustrating about this whole process is that it's it been impossible for me to get answers about anything. like naturally there's no there's no clear rule that I can find about whether or not I'm going to get points on my license like sometimes I've seen it be like two or I might get four or eight and all I know is that your license gets taken away at like 16 or 17. But, like, will that impact how much I pay for car insurance or anything? It's just, like, I am not going to spend 10 hours figuring this out. Like, I'll just wait and see what happens when it actually happens to me. But, yeah, it's it's been very frustrating. And maybe it's just that, like, I'm used to navigating the bureaucracy of a university and not a civic entity. And that's why I can't find everything. And it is there. But yeah it's I have no idea but also like if I get points on my license again like I I'm not a dangerous driver I don't do anything wacky like fine
1: it seems like you wouldn't get points on your license but you know also what the do I,
0: know? I don't know I'll let you know though uh on Tuesday afternoon <laughs> unless I go to jail I guess <laughs>